everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me, of course, is Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. Stephen, good morning. Well, Rob, this is a busy week for us. I know these things come out weekly, but we do a lot of recording in bunches. And apparently, I think this is a major bunch of podcast week. So, um, hopefully we sound my, like... My podcast voice gets stiff and sore yes. by the end of the week. So, hopefully it's not... Items. And uh, and we have a, a return guest, and I think he's become one of our favorites. I think there, there's no doubt that uh, having Eric Wright uh, from uh, Disco Posse and Turbonomic, I think that's how you say it, Eric, you on our podcast, it is always good. And, and he's a professional podcaster, and um, I have to check his to make sure, Rob, that you're being on there a fair number of times as well. Yeah, so we have to we give uh, what's that thing of the like they do in the government where it's like reciprocal equal, credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> equal time, equal time, e- equal time. We need to give Eric welcome uh, again to the podcast. And uh, my understanding, and I saw this, I don't know if it was a tweet or a post, Rob, you had talking about. I think you put a survey out about Kubernetes and uh, scaling or something. Why don't you go ahead and talk about what that was, and then we'll jump in be happy to do that. So the new stack, um, I, this ended up being an article for uh, that I, I released to the new stack. Um, and it started from a tweet. And we'll talk about my motivations as, as we dive in. But uh, it started off a tweet really saying, you know, hey, Kubernetes community, Twitterverse, are you using big clusters or small clusters, um, which sort of means single tenant clusters or multi-tenant clusters is, is the way that the survey came out. And and I got 30 answers on that, which was enough to come back and take those tweets and analyze them and sort of figure out patterns and things like that. And the the result, and I encourage people to read the article and look at the data and, and especially read the tweets, um, was that small clusters were more than half of the answer um, for a couple of different reasons. And there, but there is a you know a, a growing interest in multi-tenant. And you have to use multi-tenant carefully in Kubernetes because it's not actually a multi-tenant system, a true multi-tenant system, um, where people are doing multiple applications, multiple teams, sharing a cluster um, in a couple of different ways. And uh, so the, it was sort of this interesting thing where clearly a lot of small cluster, one application per cluster is the current dominant pattern. Um, but there is some interesting changing trend lines um, as we see Kubernetes growing in adoption and, and people relying on it in different ways. So that was what the article was. And then Eric, you jumped in um, with some thoughts around around the article itself and, and what that means. Yeah, well, this is an interesting, uh, it's a thing that we approach all the time when we look at any technology, any anything, when we make an architectural decision, I always love to dig in, like, what's the real reason you know, and it's it's that classic old story of, you know, it's the Zig Ziglar used to tell the story on stage. He says like, oh, I, I you know, I, I, my wife told me to go and, and bring home a ham, you know, for, for, for Sunday dinner. And so I brought home ham and she says, well, what are you doing? You, you brought it home. He didn't get the end cut off it. And he says, well, why do we cut the ends off it? And she says, because we've always done it that way. And he says, well, <laughs> let, let me talk to your, you know, how, why, why did you do that? She says, well, my mother always taught me that's how you do it. So they phone the mother and she says, well, we've always done it that way because my, my mother taught me that's how you make these, make the perfect ham. So they phoned, luckily, by the grace of God, her, her grandmother was still alive. And they said, uh, you know, why do you cut the end off the ham? She goes, because my pot's too small. 
And, and so generations <laughs> of decisions had been made for a reason why we had no attribution for. So when I, when I see these kind of things come up, I'm like, ooh, this is anecdotal data that you can then map to like technical limitations and look, are, are we ever actually bumping into the boundaries? And, you know, cluster sizing's probably one of the more exciting one-time decisions that gets made that becomes, you know, it's like the old thing of, you know, today's best practices are tomorrow's, what the hell were we thinking? We're going to see these as in an evolving platform like Kubernetes and in different use cases. Like I've gone to environments and said, like, what's your limitation on Kubernetes? They said, like, we have to go into multiple clusters because we're blowing up. We run out of namespace. Like, that's it. Like, we're, we're hitting network namespace issues. I'm like, oh, right. cool. And, and right? Kubernetes also has some networking subnet space constraints on how the database and how the internal networking is configured because the networking in Kubernetes is pretty lightweight. Right. And and you can Real go like up and down the stack and there's other limitations that you bump into when we, we bring in service mesh and other things, but just raw, mm -hmm. like just straight up infrastructure, you know, above the metal to the to the the container. You know, what's that 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 Kubernetes layer look like? And so I loved the not only just like numbers and percentages, because you know, pie charts are are neat. But when you dig into why what actually went into that pie, it's cool. And and so the new stack article, again, like everybody should read it and look at very good reasons why these architectural decisions are being made. And mm -hmm. a lot of them are looking like they're gonna continue to have to revisit it because, you know, some environments are also different. Like if I'm you know, some people say like, oh, one app per cluster. That's cute. Right, like you, you run LinkedIn. Congratulations, you got three apps. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and now, yeah, but then you have a hundred, a hundred clusters to manage, which is just like the M sprawl. Right, and and so I, there's, I want to, I want to pause for a second because there's, there's, there's a ton of technical stuff I want to dig into, but I feel like to understand your and my perspectives on this is really important because it's going to shape, it, it shapes our discussion a little bit. Right, because one of the things that that people don't understand with about Turbonomic and what Eric's background is here is they collect insights about workloads running on platforms. Right, I think I just I just like summarize. I, I hope I I did a, a say it good, say it again, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and it's that's it. So here's the the like full disclosure. You know, I've got the marketing version. I've got the two the two pronged approach when I look at this stuff. One is like Disco Posse me, who's just interested in in the actual community side of the world, and then on the platform side, you know, looking in active customer environments with Turbonomic. So we are application resource management platform, which. Uh, uses top-down application-driven analytics in order to drive and automate the scaling and, and provisioning and, and deprovisioning of infrastructure in order to meet the demand of those applications. So Kubernetes is super neat because we can actually do way more stuff than we could on virtual machine infrastructure. You know, cloud's neat again, but it was mostly like kind of IaaS stuff. So in Kubernetes, we see like application layer metrics that come in through APM providers, our own direct understanding. And then mm -hmm. we can actually look at it and provide guardrails and policies to say like this set of applications, you know, has higher ability to, to buy more resources from the underlying infrastructure. And then we can do things like scaling out pods, scaling up containers themselves, understanding the application level changes like heap and, and, and all the, the inner, inner bits that need to be modified in order to best utilize the stuff. So every decision's being made 
based on the application understanding all the way down to the metal and down to even like cloud cost and, and other exciting stuff like that. So Kubernetes is cool because we can finally move to like full automation, service level objectives, setting like response time targets that will actually scale out your Kubernetes infrastructure and then do things like trigger workflow, like just fire out an API call to to you know to go in and get rack in to blow you out a couple of new nodes, or do whatever the interaction is to actually scale and and deprovision infrastructure. So when I look at these things, like that, so my big thing I say is like giant flat clusters are awesome when you can give it the guardrails to have some stuff be gold, silver, whatever you want to call the the tiering. So it's. But then now we're going to bump into the architectural boundary of, well, what happens when you've got just too many things and, and now when you have to scale, you know, anyway, so that's, that's, no, the, this is, this is exactly, so there, there's a, there's a technical thing that people haven't thought through very much is that when, when we buy servers today, right, this is back to your analogy about cutting off the end of the ham. Today, people buy servers that are specced for running virtualization loads. And assuming that they're going to pack a whole bunch of VMs and that RAM is a constraint and CPU is a constraint, um, but you start throwing containers on there and the constraints are different, right? And you actually, for VMs, you want a whole bunch of small servers. One, they're a lot cheaper. But two, you can start enough containers on a big, beefy box that it, um, that it doesn't I'm, – I'm trying to figure out how to get my beefy – pun to work back into your roast. Um, <laughs> so I had to explain it, which just defeats the whole pun. But the idea here is that if you, if, you know, if you look at what you're buying from that perspective, if, if you think you're going to do a whole bunch of small clusters, then you're going to be, you're going to be living in virtual machine land in all possibility, or a whole bunch of very small machines. Cause you're, you're counting on the, the OS to be this, this isolation boundary. If you switch to a big machine or just repurpose virtualization hosts to that function, then you're going to run out of resources on the server, the host, when you start opening too many file handles or you have too many objects for the operating system to manage effectively because you have a terabyte of RAM and you can run you know, 10,000 containers on that machine, which Kubernetes is also not particularly well established to run 10,000 containers on it. Oh, my God. Can you imagine a Docker... Uh, man, <laughs> we're a run C eight, you know, host that's trying to manage that many containers. We're we're blowing out uh, what the concepts are. There's all these issues. Um, yeah, it's kind of like everybody that was like born, uh, you know, they were they were born in a in in the in New York City. Then they moved out to the burbs and bought giant houses, and now all their kids are moving back into the city. <laughs> They're all going small pod, but because they realize like we've got different requirements, and that's so it's funny. Like the hardware life cycle is is generating a lot of decisions, you know, which are. And even like co-locating virtualization containers on VMs, like I've oft, I've often said, and and strangely been quoted as saying that you know running running Kubernetes on VMs is basically like a gateway drug to running it on bare metal, because you're getting comfortable with the operational approach, and then you can go down to the metal because you realize like why would you why would you throw that overhead? And it was Chris Short. He also had one of my favorite lines. You know, sorry, sorry to my friends at VMware. He says. 
when they announced their VM, uh, their Kubernetes stuff, he's like, yay, so now you can have VMware unnecessarily involved in your Kubernetes infrastructure too. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to dig into that. First, I have to plug Chris Short, who is running a newsletter called DevOpsish, and, a, and a, he actually has a Telegram channel uh, supporting it too. So check that out. That's really cool. Yay, Chris. Um, but I mean, the, what you just laid out was my motivation for asking the question. Because what, what I'm seeing is industry-wide people want to eliminate virtualization for Kubernetes. So like, Kubon Metal, Kubon Metal, go, 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 um, right? And you know, we, like, I saw that a lot at the open infrastructure talk, open infrastructure. Um, I see that all over the place. And yet, and yet, it's much harder than people realize for a whole bunch of reasons I want to talk through. Um, and, and so that's sort of where I'm going. And people right now are saying, okay, it's, I, I need a whole bunch of small pods. I want a smaller blast radius. I don't understand how to multi-tenant things or they, you know, namespaces aren't sufficient. I, I don't, you know, my, I have to have different Kubernetes is moving so fast. I have different versions, right? Helm is coming out with a whole new version. So ah, I need to Helm, but I might not have the new version of Helm or ah, my head explodes just on software versioning let alone the, the actual physical attributes, right? Rack N and, and our specialty is on this bare metal automation. So we have the capability to create all of the API infrastructure controls that you need to run servers like they were VMs and give people a full lifecycle. That's not a problem, but all this other stuff really is. And so, right, Chris, is that a fair? I'm going to say Chris, Eric, <laughs> Chris on my mind. We definitely got to get Chris on. I, I, and he's a, he's such a, such a, I think good, Chris, I, I would love dude. to have, have him on. I think that would be great. Yeah. And, uh, and I tell you, I hope telegram runs on, uh, on containers because just Chris's, his channel alone uh, is one of the chattiest ones I've ever seen. It's like so many really cool insights that go on in there. Um, but yeah, it's, that's it, right? We've, we're, there's the reason why we're making the shift and then the discoveries we're making along the way. It's such an evolving thing. And, and like I said, version controlling and, and software choices like and then that doesn't even get into like installers and packages and, and other things like that's yeah. there's this weird, you know, we've we've talked at at length and we'll continue in future to talk mm -hmm. at length about that sort of war of of distros versus, uh, you know, Ooh. build. but. And, and there, there are problems for you're, you're making me think about clustering and, and the, this, you know, we're, we're, we're in the process of a whole new installer pattern, right? KubeADM, which is the supposed to be the installer of choice, um, which we, we use and have done some integrations with. It's, it's OK, um, but they're talking about 2.0 for that. So you're going to have a backwards compatibility. You know, I suspect no backwards compatibility, a whole new new thing. And then there's this new thing called cluster API, which is designed to talk to a cloud type interface and so give me a machine interface, I like to think of it as, and then install Kubernetes. So make clusters easier, even easier to bring up. But then do you synchronize them? What, how do you get data across? If I have, you know, a team that has four clusters, you know, uh, dev, test, prod, um, staging, you know, all of a sudden I have to synchronize stuff across all those clusters. The whole tooling problem with, with all these small clusters. And then as an ops team, you know, I'm going to be chasing down, you know, 100 clusters in production. Um, yeah, but but my DevOps, my DevOps, right? Like it's we've we we like we we opened up this beautiful abstraction. And unfortunately, 
that, like someone owns that abstraction. It's not free. <laughs> and right. it definitely lives in, in that ops land. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really, I come from a weird background because I, I grew up in, you know, the tail end of, of mainframe and the start of distributed and then entered into virtualization and all watching these, these transitions between these things, I realized we were tackling the same problems using different technologies and it was just kind of waves in and out. So now we're at this next wave where, you know, so we're, we're going to do terrible things in containers and, and container <laughs> scheduling that we've were bad practices that we brought in to, to virtualization from, from physical environments. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I've, I've just learned that you just got to get through that. It's kind of like training wheels that are, are meant to just degrade and fall off as you, as you ride, you, you can't stop and, and, and say, okay, good. We learned how to do that. Let's try a different thing. It's, this is a faster moving ship. And, and I like that, you know, we've got this flexibility, but then, like you said, operational patterns and practices become a real challenge when you yeah. look at upgrade processes and, and, you know, of course they're like, it's easy. It's easy. That's all you have to do is just no worry. Like just reschedule the pods. I'm like, yeah, that's. So, so let me, let, let's be, let's be, I want to be flat out on this, right? Cause the idea that I'm going to have hundreds of pods and uh, all these different pods operationally strikes me as, as a really problematic thing. I would love to have somebody, you know, come back and say, Hey, no, Rob, it's going to be great. I, I'm an ops guy. How am I going to manage having, you know, 10 different clusters with different versions running different workloads and I'm going to get a call and then and, and everything's interconnected, right? So, you know, different services in your web, supporting your same application, your same company are going to be on different versions of Kubernetes because you're not going to have a synchronized rollout um, because the apps are coded to different versions. And now you're going to be like, oh, this service supporting my website is down because I'm upgrading this Kubernetes cluster or there's a patch that I haven't applied. Am I wrong to raise these concerns? No, not at all. I mean, and, and I, in my mind, I see the hugest, the biggest risk right now, you know, is the open door to more abstractions and more tools mm because someone's going to try and solve this intermediary problem. And well, I mean, one would say that platform as a service solved that problem, especially if you work for Cloud Foundry. Like if you work for Pivotal, you'd be like, I, we already solved this problem. Like, well, no, no, you've had to like completely change your underlayers over and over again because the way you solved the problem, like you solved a problem, but to deliver the solution for that problem was a bunch of other problems and, and they've adapted. Yeah, but and one of the things about Cloud Foundry is that you, especially the way Pivotal did it, is it was incredibly prescriptive, and they took a lot of the things that, that developers still wanted control over out of out of their hands. Right? You couldn't build your own containers, really. Right? You, you all the things that people actually like being able to do have a Helm chart and a and a kube, kube cuddle command and access to some of some of the infrastructure was missing. But that's what also creates this, I need a specific version of Kubernetes, or I need specific services in this cluster that I don't have in the other clusters problem, right? It, are we going to have to go back to the you know, very narrow constraints of a, of a platform as a service thing? Well, that's it right now. The, the challenge of, you know, this is almost open versus proprietary discussion, right? Is that if you think of, you know, opinionated delivery, 
means that you you guarantee the guardrails, which tightens up the the variability and volatility of operations processes. The downside to it is that opinion opinion delivery means you're then also cutting off the fingers and and the toes of somebody who wants to have a little bit more control. So there's right. this that's the the challenge that I think we're we're in right now is we're sort of pendulum swinging to complete freedom. And then that complete freedom is going to involve a lot of folks, you know, falling off those bikes and then going, okay, hang on a second. Let me know, is there a better way? It's every single way is, is, is better for that team and that organization. And it will, but so here's the thing. Sorry. This is why it exists. Right. right. And so the other challenge to, to call on the, the Ray Dalio method of applying like algorithmic principles to life is that where we believe there's all these original things that are going on and all these unique environments that in fact, most of them are just another one of those. It's one of my most favorite phrases in the way he wraps it beautifully. And so if you look at it algorithmically and, and statistically, we're actually not, there's not too much stuff at the, at the extremes. And so if you look at any statistical, you know, data around cluster sizes, application types and, and utilization, it's really funny. Like that that mushy middle is 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 very common. And then once you get to kind of like the 80th and 85th percentile of measurement of things, ooh, okay. So now you get some interesting stuff. And this is why survey data is really cool, because you know, it can tell it can lead you to the real story. The survey is never actually the story. It's the door that opens to the real story. And and that's this is what really lit me up when I saw this. I'm like, this is what makes this fun. So one of the things that, that you're making me think of here is right for VM clusters, right? We didn't end up with hundreds of machines per virtualization cluster. We ended up with, you know, 30, 48. So it was, it was actually constrained by the switch ports that you had available for high bandwidth storage. Right. Um, right. We, you know, you, you, you can't build infinite, Kubernetes cluster, you know, any cluster it can't be infinite. You end up with scaling unit sizes that that are logical, um, and then you might have multiple of them. From that perspective, um, ends up with a, a distributed management problem. You think that's some of what we're seeing from this perspective? This sort of mushy middle. I'm not going to have a thousand physical machine cluster Kubernetes thing. I'm going to end up with a whole bunch of ten, ten or twenty machine clusters. Yeah, there's, I think it's naturally occurring working, uh, you know, constraints like they're, not, they're we're working within the constraints. I remember my VMware days early on was like you were you were limited by virtual port size, and then the next revision would come out, and you're like, ooh, with three point, you know, with four point I can suddenly go to, you know, one hundred and twenty eight ports instead of sixty four, and like, ooh, you know, but oh, you got a hard reset, you got to rebuild your switches, you had to go through changes, and then same with storage, you know, those other things like the if you only need memory and CPU, congratulations, kids! You've got the most portable application on earth. <laughs> I, I can, I would love to to see how you run an entire organization on just that thing. It's, it's a very important thing, but like, there's other stuff. So you're you're going to end storage. up with a non-containerized storage infrastructure, right? That's right. Uh, it's good. Yeah, this this giant sand that's hanging on the bottom of a bunch of Kubernetes bare metal hosts, and you know, and <laughs> And then do we build out all this custom stuff? It was funny, actually, just to call out another thing that I, it was a tweet 
that I saw, I'll say recently, given that by the time folks listen to it, they may, it may be a couple of weeks old, but it was Abby Fuller. She says, like, say it with me, folks, not every single thing needs to be a Kubernetes CRD, right? Like, don't, we also, as practitioners and technologists, love to tune and turn the knobs. And we, we kind of create our own hell by doing that because we've, we create those future constraints by manually tweaking the way that we're doing deployments. And in fact, like that's where Helm comes in and other stuff. And, you know, anyways, but again, we're working within the operational constraints we have today that in six months will be fundamentally different. And you think of the age and, and evolution of Kubernetes in real production environments relative to, you know, say a VMware, a, a, a Citrix, you know, a, a major virtualization platform, AWS, you know, as a cloud platform, whatever, like OpenStack, you know, people always looked at and they're like, oh, this is crap. Like, why would you use it? And like, well, remember, it's two, two and a half years old. Uh, when VMware was two and a half years old, they didn't even have vMotion, you know, so like you had to cold migrate servers. So I, I, think I, was, I, was, I was I was using it in those days. And yeah, we had we actually I have some patents to my name about how you deal with storage without SANS for right. VMware. Um, and I, you know, I feel like we are, we're, we're very, we're very early in the Kubernetes days. And in some cases, right, Kubernetes is going to be API driven. It's, you know, containers plus, you know, config files and, it, you know, via an API, there's, you know, it's possible that five years from now, the thing actually running those those files, those are going to be sticky. The actual, you know, Kubernetes infrastructure might, you know, could easily be completely different in five years, right? Because there are significant storage and networking challenges that remain. Multi-tenancy and the lack of, you know, real multi-tenancy, namespacing provides some seg segregation, but it's not really multi-tenancy some point, right, we're going to have to look at how we're going to solve these things. Um, yeah, well, that's, so here's the fun one. You just you just opened up the most exciting full podcast discussion unto itself, which is like we're just solving like metal problems, which is, you know, core functionality of CPU delivery, you know, processor, memory, storage, mm -hmm. network. That's just raw. But then, oh, wait a minute. What was one of the most common phrases that people talked about? Blast radius and 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 risk of of bleed amongst environments. Like, oh, hang on a second. You know, why do we have to call it DevSecOps? They're like, you don't need to explicitly say sec. Well, apparently you do because there isn't any in any DevOps, right? We, we're just blasting ahead, <laughs> firing code out there, and never thinking about. Oh, wait a second. Have we actually built in security throughout? And so Kubernetes again, like it, it's it's at an infancy with relation to like security practices and and operational security that we're going to find out, you know, just like everything else, and that is probably one of the more fundamental things that may be the reason it may be a small pot ham problem. Like we may be putting this like security through obscurity by creating smaller clusters. It's not actually giving the right isolation, but it's a a veiled sense that we're we're doing the right thing, and then down I, the road it'll be there. I, I so I I think today, and this is this is part of what I wanted to to ferret out in the in the survey, and you'll see this in the in the answers actually and in my analysis too, is that today we have some very serious problems that are solved easily by cutting that making the ham smaller, 
which is a small cluster answer, right? So you get blast radius, you get security, you get isolation, you have rapid versioning. So you have all these, these version issues and, you know, my cluster needs X, this other cluster doesn't, you know, can't use X, it has to use something different. Um, and, and so those things, VMs are actually a really convenient solution for that. Um, and we have this funny world where we're so used to VMs and it's the way we buy infrastructure today that we keep doing that. It's also an expensive add-on. It's, it's you know, you're, you're cutting off part of your ham or you're, you're adding complexity into the infrastructure. While we work on behavioral patterns and, and other things, it's, it's not, you know, we, we all want Kubernetes to solve this problem or, or, you know, simplify adding abstraction let me collect my thought. Adding abstraction layers on top of abstraction layers on top of hardware, you know, at some point it's obvious that we're going to eliminate those abstraction layers. It's, yeah, they should. They're, they're, it's abstraction turtles all the way down. Like there should be a way <laughs> in which we can the collapse that there is, there is nothing lower. That's why we like it, but hate it at the same time, right? Because, right, I, sorry, I'm jumping in, but when, when you're dealing with a, with a physical machine, you don't get to say, I'm going to ignore the number of drives or the number of NICs or the bus ordering or the, you know, the, the BIOS on that system. Right. And, and you, you don't get to say, oh, I'll just ignore that for now. And so yeah. here's the other one, just to, to take the pure, the funniness of watching it from afar and like watching the industry evolve is there's also this neat thing that everybody gets latched on to like, this is the most amazing thing ever until it's like evolves and you're like, this is the most amazing thing ever. And that <laughs> thing that I said was useless is now amazing. You know, we saw it with the way that converged infrastructure when it came out, they're like, you know, all the hyper converged players came out and they had, you know, single they had single delivery, you know, uni-sized nodes. And mm -hmm. that was the best way to create consistent architecture. So they only had to worry about selling one product. And they convinced the world, you know, <laughs> that's the, the greatest thing the devil ever did was convince the world that everything fits on one node and that scales linearly. When, then when all of a sudden they didn't need to scale in a linear fashion because they developed multi you know sized nodes then all of a sudden they're like why would you scale linearly that doesn't make any sense so <laughs> don't so, make fun of big huge companies now no it's not that it's <laughs> this is it's the architectural cycle yes. um for this. the the thing about the hyperconverged stuff that just made my head explode is that they were couching a management problem as a hardware solution Right. Um, and I think one of the things that we're going round and round in this is that there's a tendency to couch a, a, a fundamental management problem, an architect and a debt as a benefit. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's marketing for you. Um, <laughs> where, where, you know, what we're doing is we're saying small clusters are great. Everybody should love small Kubernetes clusters. You know, you know, I can see the cereal box, small Kubernetes clusters. Healthy and, and nutritious um, right. and delicious, but the reality is, is that we, we what that's masking, and this is, I think, some of what we saw is it's masking the fact that we don't have multi-tenancy. We don't really know how to deal with multiple, you know, networking complexity behind the scenes where we have network isolation for containers correctly done. We don't have a good way to do storage in a way that's generic and externalized. I mean, I know we're making progress, Kubernetes community. Don't hate on me for for being pragmatic. It, things are getting better at an amazing rate, but they're not there yet. 
we're still arguing about service mesh and service mesh is so complex that people's like head explodes and we have to have whole podcasts about how to how to implement those. Yeah, you end up with this like kind of like them. you have a matryoshka doll of like constraints that are being layered in because there's going to be like service mesh constraints around scaling and there's going to be network level constraints around when you're bringing in and, and doing endpoint level protection of, you know, of microservices architectures that are layered on top of service mesh that are spanning across, you know, on-premises and cloud. And, and, and then also that's the danger we have as an industry is is looking at the potential as if it's a real target. And hybrid cloud was the one that just buried the world's hatred of, of marketing because we pitched hybrid cloud as like having a thing that you run on premises that you scale out to the cloud when you need it. That's a terrible idea. No one would do that. Like you can't do it. It's the where's the data? Oh, right. So you introduce disturbing latency. So we had this thing of like that's the hybrid cloud. That was the hybrid cloud endpoint. So here's the thing: is what's the Kubernetes like end game, or at least the next game that mm. we really need to work towards? Uh, Multi tenancy, I think, is going to be massive. And then I feel this. So this is the fun when it's the ship is moving with such a a force of of a community behind it, and then now we're getting vendor opinions that are rolling into it. Yep. Will the next architectural decisions slow? Because we're all fighting over what belongs in the next version, and like you said, we talked pre pre recording of like don't announce you know version X when version X dot one is also being announced as oh you know we solved our back but it doesn't really work well don't worry it's gonna be fixed in the next one you're like whoa yeah. and actually and actually I was I, I'm even more concerned because a lot of times we're announcing version you know X dot zero or shipped here's uh. 2.0 or 3.0 coming, right? Helm is a great example of this. It's like, everybody's like, you know, we just got Helm 2 stable. We hate Tiller. Kill it! <laughs> Here we come. Um, and, and I get it. I know why we're doing that. But it reflects lack of maturity and operational controls in these systems that you're going to, you know, flip it that fat, that much. I but, you know, it's that, I, I know it's a, maybe a radical point in this case. It's sort of the way our open source communities seem to be developing, which is it's all developer led, less operations led, it's not operations led at all. It's operations catch, um, in this case, security somewhere in the distance. Um, uh, I'd just be happy we could all agree that it's kubectl, not kubectl. I mean, we we got to get over that one. It's tabs versus spaces. We've got all these weird, like, are things that we argue about amongst the practitioners that take us in these disturbing, like, Twitter thread conversations. And, you know, and, and it's, I think there's so many, like, little things that, you know, we, when you're doing a, a platform at scale in development at scale and not just are running it but like developing it at scale and building feature sets and futures at scale yep. it it's a it's a really gnarly beast to maintain and and you know, anybody who's done product management for just one platform or one product alone will know the pain of of scope creep and and talking futures and uh see, um, anyways like it's no, it's a serious, it's this is, and this to me is, is where, you know, cause I want to bring us, I want to bring us back to the article in a way. And then, and then, you know, some, some closing points on it. So people sort of have something to, to grab onto, but this is where 
where we were going in the article. This is why Eric and I wanted to get back on the microphones and talk about this because what, what this one question exposes is this tension between, you know, operational practices and controls and, you know, shared infrastructure, which is the large cluster idea and, you know, move fast, isolate small blast radius, let a team be completely independent. Um, you know, the, this go, go, go mentality. And there's the, the, the fundamental tension um, exposed in this one question to me. That's the way I see it. Yeah, the, uh, we, we have to, you know, SRE has quickly become shite reliability engineering because we oh. are, we're building a difficult future for ourselves by injecting too much lack of opinion into some of the infrastructure. And one of the, my favorite comments actually amongst the, these was that, you know, granted it was based on, you know, Chris Sabrowski actually brought up, he says, you know, Nebula Networks actually recommends managed Kubernetes while orgs determine their requirements. And I'm like, so much mm -hmm. yes, right? Like this is, it's why we love SaaS. Because do you really think you want to own and operate this infrastructure when you actually want to use it? And this is the beautiful thing. So we're going to pay for it in, you know, dollars and and lack of feeling of control, maybe because we're using managed, you know, infrastructure. However, have, like however, the real yeah, problem yeah. we have to solve is is the business objective and getting that positive business outcome of like I'm actually deploying my apps and I've actually mapped into this thing, and then we can, you know, sort out how to operationalize what we delivered it on and, and that's that's kind of the next beast uh, so this this is where i i scratch my head because i i and i've we've done podcasts in this with the ladies shiny i would love to see an isv community surface that says oh if you have kubernetes you can install my you know my charts my 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 you know config files and you can add this service into your cluster and then uh, subscribe to me to get updates um, which is an ISV thing. You're buying software from somebody. You're not counting on a SaaS to run it for you. Because right. as soon as you, you turn on these SaaSs, what Amazon's really going to sell you or any of these clouds are going to sell you is not more Kubernetes capabilities. You're using Kubernetes in, in place of Lambda and connecting and wiring in deeply to all their other services, which is a benefit to you and to your company and your application, even more of a benefit to the service providers. Um, but that doesn't work if, you know, the next person shows up, says, well, I needed Google's machine learning. And, they, you know, and now you've got, you know, your company spread across 10 different managed, managed Kubernetes offerings. Um, that, that's, that strikes me as, you know, uh, not, you know, it's, it's not the way I, I was hoping we would see the industry evolve. I, I like you know, and this, but this goes back to what we do and the customers I talk to, they, they like having control. They want control of their life cycle. They want to know that the dependency graph they've built out is one that they're, they're able to own, but that also involves saying no to people. Right. Um, no, you can't have that version. No, you can't have that service. You have to use this, you know, it's a, it's a control thing. And there's a lot of temptation out there to just say, heck with that. I'm, I can go spin up a managed Kubernetes cluster in Google and Amazon, Microsoft, dot, dot, dot. Um, 
and not deal with IT again. We're back to shadow shadow Kubernetes. Yeah, no ops, no ops, right? Uh, yeah. It, so uh, I think yeah. really like what what excited me about the conversation we can have, at, you know, and here and anybody in their organization and anybody in the community is the decisions you're making should be based on the constraints that are presented to you with an understanding of the potential future removal of those constraints and also understanding the constraints you have within your organization to use any technology and operate it in a way in which it delivers a business outcome. And if we make architectural decisions around sizing clusters because of our back limitations and, and the lack of, of multi-tenancy. So we're giving this faux multi-tenancy by, by creating multiple clusters. You know, it's, is it secure? No, because the same with the same ops team has multiple, you know, jump boxes with, you know, each individual, you know, ability to administer. No, they've got one machine that has access to everything. So you, you're not actually, you're maybe hiding the users from each other, but you probably have developers that have multiple, you know, uh, multiple cluster access as well. So, or, or you, you, or the or the developers end up responsible for maintaining the clusters because there are too many of them for the ops team to manage, or they're too starred and, and unique. Is this Eric? Is this a time? Does this get solved just by baking? You know, we're we're sort of eating the eating the pulled the brownies out of the oven. And they're the the center's still wet, so we're we're cutting the edges out, eating the edges. Yeah, it I the the thing that I implore people to do when they make architectural decisions is to be very clear on the honesty of the constraints that are in front of them. Right? We we think about it. This is like it doesn't need to be a full TOGAF, you know, sort of architecture framework as to as to how you're doing it, but understand what are the requirements, what are the constraints, what are the assumptions? And those assumptions are like, hey, you know, the assumption is that RBAC's gonna work and we're actually gonna get multi-tenancy one day. So in the meantime, we're making this decision and kind of like time ticket, you know, the same way that Mac rumors tells you, I wouldn't buy an iPad today because there's probably gonna be a new one coming out in four months. Like we should have a Mac rumors. We should call it Kubernetes rumors. There you go. That's our new website launch, new startup idea. We're calling it Kubernetes rumors and it'll be like, should you deploy now? No, uh, <laughs> should, should I deploy Helm 1.x, right? Now, right. Oh, this, is the, this is my argument with the 2x, 1x, 1o thing. The problem is that the, the open source marketing is really driven to build a community. And so they're going to market, you know, they're, they don't like that. That's that's a bad that's a bad thing, um, right? They want to build community. They want to build critical mass around what they're doing, even if there's a two O coming out. Um, this is the open source shell game. Um, to me, it, it's it's a problem as an operator. If if your developers are off running deploying the new new, and you're you know there's a there's a gap. You you don't even know if it's going to work on you know on the assumption that. You know, or deploying the 1.0 on the, you know, knowing a 2.0 is coming on the assumption the 2.0 is going to solve all your problems. You uh, and I are going to write a book one day called Infrastructure Fast and Slow. And that's, this is, we just got to get it done. Like this is, it's the beauty of behavioral economics just playing out in, in infrastructure patterns and, and consumption patterns. It's, Again, none of this stuff is is new. The awareness of why we do things is what's what's frightening. It's just the lack of ability for people to look and say, like, oh, I get like just 
like I said, I, I call it honesty in, in architecture. It's like be very clear in why we made a decision. And we don't want, we want to be smart. Every practitioner wants to be like to make a decision because they want to be right. And like, again, just like in life, I, I want to seek the right answer, not be right. And that right answer means I'm going to do a lot of things in the meantime that may be taking different directions. So that's, there's sort of a, as practitioners and deliverers of infrastructure, you know, even vendors and, and every platform deliverer is going to say like, but we're right. You are like, okay, well, I, I get it. You know, your approach to the, your team's approach is what I always have a monstrous respect for. It's like, yeah, what else do you want to use? Right. We're going to, we're going to make it work, you know, and we're going to give you some opinionated stuff along the way that we know that we can deliver on that's going to solve a problem. And it, it's that pragmatic mix. So Eric, I'm breaking in and the title of your autobiography will be, he's always right. And, um, <laughs> and I stole that from Rob as we had a background text on that, but the benefit um, of being Eric, you were always right. You were always right. But I think this book could be a bestseller, but we may need to add some pictures in there to, uh, <laughs> to, to break okay. up the people's thinking. Well, anyway, we've reached, uh, we've, we're going over our limits again. I think I'm getting too lax, Rob. But uh, again, good this content. This is so good. How could you break in? I've never I, let a, never invite a guy on who does one hour podcasts. Well, <laughs> Rob, Rob could do a lot longer than an hour if we didn't sure. if we didn't cut down. But uh, Eric, uh, this was great. You know, Rob, as as usual, I love when we take you guys put stuff out there on Twitter and things like that, and we come back and expand it further. It's really good for our listeners. I know. Um, Based on the the you know the people who listen, I know they enjoy it. So thanks uh, to both of you, Eric. Anything coming up you want to promote? Are you showing up anywhere to uh, speak soon, or or you take the summer off? Yeah, well, I I, I produced uh, I produced human human life uh, nine weeks ago at the time of the recording. So I'm kind of taking some some travel Whoa, time. Congratulations! Down, uh, yeah, I did thank not you. Know this. Yeah, so uh, uh, you know, baby, baby number four, and so I'm, I'm, I'm easing up. I've got the, I call it the, the, the triple crown of of nerd conventions. So I've got uh, VMworld, Microsoft Ignite, and AWS reInvent, uh, and so I'll be there with my team, of course. And most importantly, I'm going to be there doing daily runs and community coffee exchange. That's actually the two most important things that go on every day. So uh, folks can kind of follow me and, and follow. I'll, I'll give out some stuff around around what we're doing with that. And, and Eric and I, are, I think, both be at VMworld. So we'll set up a run. It's the Embarcadero. That's the one, the only reason I love San Francisco for conferences. Uh, it sure isn't the, uh, you know, seed round of an expense report that I'm going to submit for being there for a week, but it will be <laughs> the fact that I can run the Embarcadero every day and it's it's gorgeous. Rain or, rain or less rain, as we call it. Rob, Rob do you think, pe I don't know if people know that every event you go to, you always organize a run. Uh, maybe people don't know that. Maybe we need to I try to. That. Yeah, you got to watch for the hashtags. Um, and what we can do is we can call it the shiny run or something like that. We'll figure out a. I think the latest shiny should sponsor one of your runs. I think that's a great idea. Uh, we will we will get free sweat. To As everybody. you can see, we continue to keep going, even though I'm supposed to shut down the podcast. Well, thanks to, <laughs> thanks to both of you, Eric. Congratulations, baby four. I don't I don't wish that on. I had two is enough. 
and uh, I will <laughs> I have them uh, in small batches. So that's the way the way to do it. I uh, <laughs> you got to do it like, like, like artisanal chips. That's hilarious. Well, thanks again to both of you and to our listeners. We hope you enjoy this podcast and. As usual, if you have thoughts, comments, want to join Rob and myself, or even Eric, we can bring him back if you want to argue with him. Happy to do that. Uh, And we'll talk to you guys again soon.